in that real physical way followed him. Now, does he do that the same for us today? Sometimes he does. But we need to at least be willing to consider the cost that I will forsake all of those things for him if he asks, if that's what he requires of me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of General Order 4. On today's episode, we are going to finish the discussion we started last week on the evidences of discipleship. Hello and welcome to this episode of General Order 4, and uh, we're glad that you joined us. On today's episode, we're going to continue the discussion that we started last week on evidences of discipleship, and I kind of want to just do a real quick recap, uh, but before I do that, I am joined as usual by Pastor Brian Stewart, Good day. and we are we are looking forward to what the Lord has for us today. So um, just a quick recap as to what we've been talking about. We started out by saying that the disciples followed Christ, and Pastor Stewart took us through Matthew chapter uh, 5, chapter 8, chapter 9, and we kind of went through and talked a lot about how um, the disciples, the first evidence that they were disciples is that they followed Christ. And we went back and we addressed from uh from Mark chapter 3 again about how Christ had called them to be with him and they continued to do that all throughout um, Christ's earthly ministry and even after and so they spent that time with Christ following him and that was the biggest evidence that they were indeed his disciples and then we looked at how disciples continue in God's word out of John chapter 8 that disciples will love one another out of John 13 that the disciples will bear fruit out of John 15, and that the disciples will strive to be like Christ out of Luke 6 and out of Matthew 10. And so we're going to continue the discussion today. If you have not yet listened to last week's episode um, where we started talking about the evidences of discipleship, I recommend that you go back and that you listen to that episode first and then come back and listen here. Um, but we're going to continue our discussion, and we are going to do so by going to Luke chapter number 14. And in Luke chapter number 14, an interesting thing is talked about, often is misunderstood. Um, So we'll kind of get into that a little bit. Um, But in Luke chapter number 14, verse number 33, it says this, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now that sounds really harsh, um, but you got to back up a bit and see what Christ says earlier in um, in the same chapter. And it says in verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his life, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, setteth down not first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he, he sendeth an ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So what is what is Jesus teaching? Is he literally teaching us to hate our parents, to hate our wife, to hate our children and brothers and sisters? Obviously not. Um, but what Jesus is teaching is that we ought to be willing to forsake anything that Christ requires of us to follow him. 
And so the first evidence we want to address today, um, which is the sixth one on the list here, is that disciples are willing to forsake all for Christ. I think an interesting point is uh, we didn't really read verse 25, but notice Jesus is telling this to a great multitude. They've followed him. Uh, He had turned in and he is saying this to a multitude of people. And so he is identifying to the multitude of people that I, he's not misrepresenting what, when he says, follow me, what that's going to mean. He is, is clear. He is letting them know up front that this is a costly endeavor. And this is going to cost you everything, your own life and everything else about you. You are now going to be uh, liberated to be his servant, to be his child, and to be his follower. And so the cost is high, and he wants us to consider that before we decide to follow him, before we decide to be his disciple and his follower. And so I think it's very fair of him, and I appreciate the fairness that he gives us as he tells us this cost of discipleship. And he does put it in harsh terms. You know, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children, and that's really and and his own life also. That's nothing different than when he says that we need to be willing to present our bodies a living sacrifice, Mm -hmm. holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. This is reasonable discipleship he's talking about here. He also says, uh, Paul teaches through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we're to die to ourself daily. Uh, A lot of different passages that he's talking about here saying the same thing. This just sounds harsher and the way that he put it, but these are the words of Christ. We can't, we can't uh, sidestep them. We can't get around them. This is one of the byproducts of being a disciple of Jesus Christ: is that you're going to forsake everything and all. Luke chapter number five. If we turn back there, in verse number twenty-eight, it says that, or excuse me, verse number twenty-seven. We'll start there. Jesus is uh, speaking to. Um, It says in verse 27, And after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of customs, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he left all and rose up and followed him. Um, So, again, there's there's an example of someone who did exactly what Christ is talking about. He got up, he left his job, he left everything he had, he left his income, and he followed after Christ. We saw also in verse 11 where Simon and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, all of them were called, and verse eleven. And when they had brought their ships to land, they what they forsook all, and they followed him. So this is not the only time he says that we're to forsake everything. We're to forsake our family. What did the disciples do in reality? When Jesus walked up and said, "Follow me," how did they become a disciple? They had to actually follow him, which meant what? They forsook their careers. They forsook everything else. And in that real physical way, followed him. Now, does he do that the same for us today? Sometimes he does. But we need to at least be willing to consider the cost that I will Mm -hmm. forsake all of those things for him if he asks, if that's what he requires of me. What did he require of of the first disciples or the first 12? That they do that. And so does he do that with everybody? No. But there are times that he's going to call us. Mm-hmm. Simeon, he's called your family to a new country. You, you're having to forsake family. You're going to miss out on birthdays and anniversaries and family reunions and Christmases and Thanksgivings. Because why? You're going to go and 
do uh, what God's called you to do, and is and and his, in your case, He's asking you to forsake certain things, right? For what? For Him? For that gain? My family, we you know, a lot of our family lives in another state, and it's not a it's a eight, eighteen hour drive. Uh, we can't get down there for every little family event. Uh, we can get down there sometimes every few years for different events, but we've had to forsake things. With our my wife uh, had to forsake family, and I've had to forsake family, so that we can be where God's called us to be ministers and what He's called us to do. My children have had to forsake things. Uh, it really wasn't their choice, <laughs> but they've <laughs> had to forsake things as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because why? God's calling in our life, and if we're going to really be disciples of Him, followers of Him, wherever He leads, we sing the song. Wherever He leads, I'll follow. That's a question that we need to answer, and we need to be able to answer that early in our discipleship, is if wherever he leads me, is that where I'm going to go? Is that where I'm going to follow him? Yeah, and I know that we we addressed the scripture um, just a few weeks back about how, you know, the man puts his hands to the plow, and if he's not willing to keep his hands on the plow, he's not worthy. You know, whatever, a man that puts his hands to the plow looking back is not worthy. And that's a hard thing to accept, you know, and not everybody wants to accept that. That's why, you know, I I think in modern America, one of the most harmful things we have going on right now is this nominal Christianity. And the the fact of the matter is the way the world is now, nominal Christianity can no longer survive. Popular Christianity can't continue. It can't, it can't thrive. It'll never thrive. It never was intended to thrive. Um, but it cannot continue to live the way that it is now, uh, because it's fake and it's, and it, it's not built to last. Uh, but the real Christianity, real discipleship is when you're willing to say, Lord, whatever you want, I'm willing to do. And that, that is a lot easier said than done. You know, we, we like to sing songs around invitation time at church about the topic of um, being willing to forsake all and follow being willing to forsake all and follow Christ but when it actually when the rubber meets the road most of us aren't willing to do that um, but Jesus teaches that this is indeed a, a evidence of your discipleship that you are indeed a disciple of Christ is that you really are willing to forsake all passages like this one completely dismantle the ideas about the social gospel uh, completely dismantles ideas about prosperity gospel. Um, Mm. All of those things are in fact, not the gospel, but another gospel as you can find in in places in scripture. Um, And the truth of the gospel is that it isn't always easy that a lot of the time things are required of us to be a disciple of Christ that may or may not be very comfortable. The The concept that Jesus is trying to get across to them in Luke chapter 14 is not that they really should hate everybody, but that in comparison to how they love Christ, their relationships on this earth would look like hate because they love Christ that much. And it, someone might say to me, it is hateful for you to take your kids away from their grandparents. I could see somebody saying that or making that statement. I could see a grandparent who doesn't have a heart for Christ seeing that and making that statement. Um, But it's not indeed hateful towards them. It may look like hate towards them, but it's not hate towards them. It's love for Christ and forsaking all for him. 
this picture that he develops for us here that we are to you know the relationships that he identifies really is the family relationships the the spousal relationship the 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 parental relationship all of these relationships that he's identifying in this passage that we are to be willing to forego even our own life uh you stop and think about it when you're at a funeral uh there's a separation that takes place there uh, mm-hmm. when that person passes and that same separation is what he's talking about that we are to be dead to the things of this world and alive unto god now that doesn't mean we stop fulfilling our responsibilities to those relationships but when god says there's to be a separation in those relationships we need to be willing to allow that and our like you said our love for god is is greater uh we really have a question here in in a lot of respects is am i going to have a separation in my relationship with god as not being a follower of him even though i've put my faith and trust in him but i'm going to allow there to be a separation between him and i and the way that i live and the way that i follow or don't follow him or am i going to allow this separation to be between me and maybe other individuals in my family uh, for the sake of me following Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a high cost. Look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9, actually through 11. In verse 7, he says this, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. We get to see the mind of a man who is a follower of Christ, who God used to write much of the New Testament, and he says, the things that I considered gain in my life, I'm now considering those a loss so that Christ can be the gain. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Mm-hmm. Notice the master there, the Lord. Notice the knowledge, his word, Things that, these same themes that we've been talking about. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, how many things? He says all things, and mm-hmm. I do count them but dung that I may win Christ and right. be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him mm-hmm. and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul had the understanding of this willingness to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. And he knew that all he was without Christ measured up to nothing. But mm-hmm. all that he is in Christ is what really counts in the end. And that's what he was looking forward to and attaining to and working for and and pursuing in his life so forsaking all is a benchmark of somebody who is going to what be that disciple of jesus christ Mm -hmm. Uh, there are many of these benchmarks but this is one of those that we see clearly in scripture that we need to be willing to count the cost and are we willing to forsake whatever it is that god asks of us so that we can be his servant, his follower, his learner. Is it any wonder that all throughout Scripture, people said things 
speaking of what Christ taught, and they'd say things like this, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? You know, all throughout the thing, all throughout Christ's ministry, people said that. Um, sometimes it was people who said that. Sometimes it was Pharisees who said that. Sometimes it was his own disciples who said that. Um, but Christ said things like this, that like what we find in Luke chapter six, or excuse me, in Luke chapter 14. And they would say things like, how, how are we supposed to do that? How do you do that? And they didn't understand because they weren't disciples of his and his men who spent all that time with him really didn't even understand. And after, until after his resurrection and ascension, and then they started to understand more about what he meant by that. Yeah. Well, Peter did come to him. We talked about this, but Peter did come to him and say, Hey, we forsook all and followed you. You know, <laughs> what shall we have there for? Um, and we talked about that story there, but the, the point is this, that the disciples are willing to forsake all. It doesn't mean that you literally go out right now and sell everything you have and live like a hermit. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying, however, is that you are willing to forsake anything and everything for the cause of Christ. Um, and so that, that you're willing to cut relationships to, to, you know, do whatever you have to do in order to forsake all for Christ and, Christ may or may not ask for those things. When we were talking before the podcast, I had mentioned that the inverse of this is also true. Um, Young people today are forsaking the church, and they're forsaking the church because they're already not there. They're mentally not there. And so when they are no longer forced to be there, they become physically not there. Their, Their mind and their heart isn't there. And when we have our mind and our heart stayed on Christ, we're willing to forsake anything and everything that's not for him. Um, When our mind and our heart is on something else, we're willing to forsake anything to have that something else. And so in the inverse, it's also true. We have young people now forsaking church by the droves and not just church, but really everything having to do with Christianity. Part of that has to do with the fact that it's not modeled properly at home. Most of it probably. Um, but the point is this, their heart is set on the things of the world. Uh, the apostle Paul said that of Demas, that he had forsaken him having loved this present world. Um, so their heart and their mind is not stayed on Christ. It's stayed on the world. And so when the opportunity presents itself for them to forsake the things of Christ and embrace the things of the world, that's what they do. And so the Christ is saying the opposite of that. He's saying your heart should be so stayed on me that you're willing to forsake all for me. And unfortunately, the opposite of that is happening in a lot of people's lives. Yes, sir. The psalm, the very first psalm, I think really sums up what you were saying there. It kind of sums up what we've been talking about uh, so far in this in the last episode. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Then we know verse 3 talks about us being like a tree that's planted, that's going to prosper. He says the ungodly are not so in verse 4, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. And if we stop and look at this example you brought up with a child who's mind and heart is not uh, given to the Lord, but they are bodily in church. And then as soon as they are not required bodily to be in church, what are they going to be? They're going to be like the wind that, uh, like the chaff that the wind's driving in, in every direction. 
He says, mm-hmm. uh, verse 6, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so there is a... When we talk about discipleship and the choice for discipleship, and, and we're talking about true scriptural discipleship as modeled by Christ and by his disciples and the, and the early church, we find that uh, the, the stakes are high. Mm-hmm. There is a way of righteousness and there is a way of perishing. And there is no in-between. And if you and I are hanging out in between, we're in a, a, a dangerous place because we're really on a way that's going to lead us down a path of destruction. And so we need to be like these men that we've identified in Scripture, that we're willing to forsake all and we're willing to do those things. And it is a hard attitude of being willing to do that. Sometimes he's going to call us to forsake things. You may have to give up a hobby. You may have to give up an activity. You may have to give up traditions in your family in order to follow Christ. Those are all things that we need to be willing to do so that we can be the the, uh, servants of God and the children of God that are pleasing in his sight. And it looks differently for everybody, but it is all going to be, these points are going to be able to, to do that. And again, we're not going to be able to, like we talked about before, bear fruit if we're not willing to forsake those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, again, uh, just, we've been on that one point for quite a while now, but, um, the disciple is willing to forsake all for Christ. Um, that is one of the evidences of, um, the fact that you are indeed a disciple. Um, the next one we wanted to look at here real quickly is found in Matthew chapter number eight. And that is that the disciples bring Jesus their fears and since you've already kind of addressed Matthew chapter number eight, Pastor Stewart, if you want to go ahead and kind of take us there, Matthew eight twenty five, sure. and talk about how the disciples brought their fears to Jesus. Sure. We looked at verse uh, 23 earlier where we identified that he went into the ship and his disciples followed him. Now, some of his disciples were fishermen. So going into a ship probably is not a big deal, but there are some land-loving people that don't want to go into a ship. And so there was yeah. probably some fear possibly or concern, but notice they followed him anyway. And they get on the sea, and they, uh, verse 30, 24, there's a great tempest in the sea, and the ship is covered with the waves, and Jesus is asleep uh, in the ship. And in verse 28, his disciples came to him. So again, what do they do? They come to him, and they awoke him, and they say to him, save us, we perish. Now, there's a short prayer, or a short Uh, request, but they are coming to him with what? With their fears, with their uh, their problems, with what's concerning them in the moment. And Mm -hmm. most any normal human being would be pretty concerned in that moment uh, uh, with what was going on. And yet the Lord was not concerned. And so they went to the one who was the source of peace in that turbulent uh, storm and that great tempest. And so then when they bring that problem to the Lord, what does he do? He solves it for them. He rebukes them a little bit. <laughs> he says, you know, uh, you know, I told you to get in this boat. Uh, don't you trust me? Basically, why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Mm-hmm. And then he stands up and he rebukes the wind and the sea, and there was great calm. But notice the disciple brought their fears. And, and so that's a wonderful blessing of being a disciple. That when you are in a turbulent situation, when your life is up in uh, up in arms and everything just seems like it's out of control and there's no stability and there's nothing to grab onto, you have your master, your Lord. 
And when you recognize him as Lord, you will go to him with those concerns and Mm -hmm. those problems. And when you do, he is there and he will bring calm, maybe not to the circumstances, but at least he will bring calm to you and remind you of your where your faith needs to be and that you need to have more faith in him, mm-hmm. not less. Yeah. So the disciples bring their fears to Jesus. We see that really all throughout um, all throughout the discipleship process in their life. Um, but you also see that with uh, unbelieved, unbelieving people, you know, they, they, they brought people to Jesus to be healed and all kinds of things um, of, of devils and different things because Jesus took care of fear. And, um, you know, one thing that I've heard men, that people say throughout, throughout time, I think it's true is that the fear of God casts out all lesser fears. And, um, so when we are spending our time with Jesus, again, following him, we are there to take our needs to Jesus. Um, take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there is what the song says. Um, so we have the opportunity to do that as we find there in Matthew chapter eight. One of the next things that is an evidence of your discipleship is this, that disciples are concerned with Christ's mission in the world. Um, they were concerned with what God wanted to have done. And if you look in the next chapter in Matthew, excuse me, uh, yeah, back in Matthew chapter number nine, uh, we find Jesus, uh, issuing a prayer request. There's only, um, you know, there's, there's not very many of those found in scripture really. So we ought to pay attention to it. In Matthew chapter nine and verse number 37, Jesus speaks and he says, it says, uh, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Um, so he's speaking, it says in verse number 37, specifically that he saith unto his disciples. Um, we've, drawn the line between believers and disciples on a previous episode. Uh, and I think this is one that is pretty obvious. Disciples are concerned with what Christ is concerned about. Uh, the disciples, Jesus gives them a command here and he says, Hey, I want you to pray about something. The harvest is plenteous. There's a lot of lost people out in the world and there aren't very many people that are willing to reach them. Pray that the Lord will send forth laborers into his harvest. I believe that this request here that the Lord gives to his disciples, um, this prayer request, if you will, um, is is twofold. One, that he wanted them to go into all the world and preach the gospel, which he later tells them to do. He's pointing out that there's a harvest and there's a need for laborers. He's telling them, hey, look, you're the laborers. He's also asking them to pray that the Lord would send more laborers. Part of that is accomplished through discipling more people. Um, But the Lord is able to call people into his harvest as well um, that have nothing to do with me or you. And so the disciples are concerned with the mission of Christ in this world, and that is to get the gospel out to as many people as we possibly can and begin to see those people discipled as well. Really, I like this because it really helps us to stay on task. And it, the terminology that he uses is indicator that he is uh, identifying for us who he's talking to. Mm-hmm. And, and that includes you and I that are going to be disciples or followers of him as well. Right. That we need to be on task with his goals, his plans. Again, notice he says, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest. He doesn't get away from that word Lord. And a Lord is one who controls what? He controls everything about my mm-hmm. life. If I have a Lord, I I don't have a right to myself. He is my owner. Right. He is my uh, guide. He is the one that determines what I uh, do, where I go, what I wear. Everything about me is determined by him. Mm-hmm. 
And that's really all that this following him is all about. It's like we just simply model that Christ likeness and and we do as he has done. Right. So the uh we've kind of hit that point multiple times on this uh podcast, so we won't belabor that one any longer, but we wanted to look at this last thing, and this last thing really points right back up at the first thing. And you can find it in Matthew chapter number 10. So just one chapter over in Matthew 10, uh, Jesus begins to give some instruction to his disciples. In Matthew 10 and verse number five and on, it says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, or into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But go rather first, uh, or excuse me, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he gives them commands regarding uh, what they should do, how they should go, what they should bring, all of these kind of things. And he's sending them into the uh, the people of Israel because he had not revealed himself to the Gentiles at this point. And so he's sending them to the, the children of Israel and he's telling them to go into all these villages and begin to preach uh, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What are they preaching? They're preaching Christ, right? So he tells them what to preach. He tells them how to preach it. He tells them where to go. He tells them what to do, what to bring. Um all the way down to the nitty-gritty details. And throughout this entire chapter is a lot of instruction on what they're to do. Then, Matthew chapter 11, in verse 1 it says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. And then John sends his disciples to him, and we have that whole discussion there. What's the point here? The disciples are faithfully preaching and teaching the things that they have been taught by Jesus. And we've emphasized this and emphasized this and emphasized this on this podcast, and it's because it is crucially important. The things that we are to preach and teach are the things that we find in Scripture, the things that Jesus said, the things that the Holy Spirit has recorded for us in the pages of Scripture. Those are the things that we are to preach and teach. The disciples did not preach anything of themselves. They did not teach anything of themselves. What they preached and what they taught were the things that Jesus told them to in Matthew chapter 10. And I think it's it's also really neat to me that in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus isn't sitting under a, a comfy tree twiddling his thumbs. <laughs> we find Jesus doing the same thing that he told his disciples to do. The servant's not greater than the master, right? That's what we saw earlier uh, in the last episode, we looked at that. Mm-hmm. The servant's doing the same thing that the master is doing. And right now, if you apply that to what's happening right now, obviously we don't have Jesus bodily here on earth right now, but we do have the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit's job? The Holy Spirit's job is to convict of sin and to teach us all things that Christ has commanded, right? That's what we've looked at in the in the past. That we've looked at the the job of the Holy Spirit is to confirm in the hearts and minds of people the word of God. So, Jesus gives us a command: Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach and teach the things that you find in Scripture. That's the job that we've been given. And what's He doing in the person of the Holy Spirit? He is also preaching and teaching the gospel and all of the things that He taught through His Word. I find it interesting that. Uh... Jesus commands his disciples to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then in chapter 11, verse 1, he says that he is going to depart and go and teach and preach in their cities. 
So he's sending them to a place where they are not familiar. They, uh, they don't know everybody there. They're strangers in that land. And he's going to cover where they were at. And it, it, it kind of is, it kind of answers a question of well, why would God call somebody from my hometown to go over to, to uh, either another state or another city uh, to start a church or to minister and then call somebody from mm-hmm. that city to come back here and minister instead you know wouldn't it make more sense to have the hometown guy here and uh, and yet if mm-hmm. we look to Jesus instruction he tells us many times that uh, the, uh, the the prophet is not well accepted in his hometown many times and so mm-hmm. Uh, God needs to have that ability to command us to go wherever he wants us to go. And again, these disciples do it. They go, but Jesus doesn't leave their home cities out. He himself goes and ministers to them and ministers in their cities. And again, he's not in some office somewhere. He's not some tied up somewhere. He is these guys, the disciples and, and Jesus are out, and they are out ministering to people in the highways and hedges mm-hmm. and they're they're out meeting people and they're going to homes and they're doing this and that and so it's it's a very outreach oriented mm-hmm. ministry. Yeah, so really it just it kind of wraps it all back up. The disciples follow Christ and in following Christ they preach and teach what Christ said. And so I'm going to real quickly just brush right back through the list of things that we've covered in this episode and in the last episode. And these are the evidences that we've located in Scripture, and there are more than what we found. Um, but these are the evidences of, uh, of true discipleship in the life of a believer, that the disciple follow Christ first and foremost. And the rest of this stuff really is a result of that action. The disciple follows Christ. The disciple continues in God's word. The disciples will love one another. The disciples will bear fruit. The disciples will strive to be like Christ. Disciples are willing to forsake all for Christ. Disciples bring Jesus their fears and their needs. The disciples are concerned with Christ's mission in this world. And the disciples will faithfully teach what they've been taught from Scripture. And so I think uh, that's a good place for us to kind of wrap things up for this episode. Again, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And I hope that by studying these evidences of discipleship, you've had the opportunity to examine um, your own Christian walk and to see how you're doing on these things. We all have room to improve. We all have things that we can work on, that we can get better on. So I hope that you've had the opportunity to examine yourself. And then also, you can use some of these things as a measure um, as you're looking at the people that you are teaching, that you are discipling, to see how they're progressing and see these things developing in their life as you teach them to follow Christ. And so I hope, again, that this has been a blessing to you. We appreciate that. Um, If you would like to go ahead and like, share, subscribe, give this to other people, uh, that would be uh, amazing. We just want to be a minister. We just want to minister to other people, be a blessing, and help inspire people to teach the word of God to those that they know. So thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you uh, listening to this episode and uh, we'll be back next week. God bless. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of General Order 4. On next week's episode, we're going to do an interview with Pastor Amos Graham of Indianapolis, Indiana. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R. Or on Twitter at General Order the number 4. Please like, share, and subscribe.